Hello, everyone, and welcome to Canadian Sport Institute Pacific's Podium Cast podcast. In this podcast, we explore cutting edge ideas, gain valuable insights, and dive into athletes' journeys from the world of high performance sport. everyone. Um, I am Lindsay Jenerick, Athlete Services Coordinator here at the Canadian Sport Institute Pacific. And our third athlete interview for the year is with accomplished athlete Riley Pickrell. Riley is a cycling athlete who happens to be here at the Institute almost every single day because he is a student in a Canadian sports school. Uh, so his day is spent half here with us at the Institute in the sports school and half of his day is spent at his hometown high school of Claremont Secondary. As a cyclist, Riley has finished fourth at the Junior Worlds World Championships. He has three Junior World Cup stage wins and a very impressive total of 36 national championship medals in both road and track events for cycling. So welcome, Riley. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Um, so what we're going to discuss with Riley is, I mean, obviously we'll go through some background information so everyone can who get to know him for those that don't. And uh, we'd really like to capture some of his uh, experience and opinions on the multi-sport aspect of the school, that the, the sports school that he's in, and how that enhances, or maybe he feels it doesn't enhance, but I think it, he does feel it enhances his training. And um, so we'll just, we'll get right into it. So... I guess Riley, first tell everyone some background information on yourself. What you anything you'd like to share, basically, with uh, those tuning in today? Um, yeah, so I grew up in Vancouver. Actually, I lived there until I was about ten. Um, played hockey mostly. I did a lot of other sports, but hockey was the the key. Uh, I moved to the island at eleven. Um, went on a big family trip for about two years around the world, and then when I came back, I really started into the high performance pathway, where before I was just playing recreation sports. Um, I started in speed skating. Um, I was okay at it. I was a little bit like Bambi on ice. I couldn't skate very well. Um, so I went on to track cycling, which was similar, but on a bike. So the super technical focus of speed skating, where you have to start very young, didn't apply as much. So I moved up the pathway that way. And interestingly, I didn't know about this trip you just mentioned. So what, what did that look like, spending two years around the world? Like, What were you doing with your family? Were you homeschooled, I guess, at that time? Yeah, I was, um, so I was 11. Um, my parents had been fixing up a sailboat for about seven years, and uh, we sailed to New Zealand. Wow, that's amazing. So that's quite the, you're spending some time out on some serious open ocean in, on that. It's not like you're traveling south down around South America or something and sticking to land. No. Like how many open open ocean days where it would have existed to get there? Uh, it was most from Victoria to Hawaii was the first leg we did, and it was 30 days. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Okay, that's um, – I'm sorry, that's a bit of a sidetrack, but that's just really fascinating to me. That's yeah. amazing. Do you feel like that contributed in any way to your um, – athletic performances later on? Was there something you learned in that that contributed to how you are as an athlete? There was a lot of problem solving. Because mm. when you're, so when you're between 
We were between Tonga and New Zealand once, so it's a 10-day passage, and a storm comes through every seven days, so you're only hit, be hit by a storm. Wow. And there's another boat whose engines failed, and there's and a storm comes through and then doldrums, and doldrums mean there's no wind, so you're stuck unless you motor. So this family had to be, were just being constantly hit by storms. So we actually came up and towed them because it was the only way for them to get through. So there's lots of problem solving and jerry rigging, and it comes through when you get halfway through a race or you're 20 minutes before a start and something happens, something breaks or you have to find a solution as quickly as you can because that's the situation you're in. And you don't have to do it out in the middle of the ocean, so that's a plus, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Less life or death situation. Wow, that's really incredible. I'm glad that came up, so thanks for that. Um, describe to the listeners what the Canadian Sports School is and kind of what your day looks like, just so they get an idea of, I mean, I said it very, very uh, generically. So what would be kind of a typical day for you at sports school? So I, I go to my regular school for the morning of the day. Um, we, there's only 30 students at sports school, and the classes are split into uh, morning blocks and um, afternoon blocks. So me in the afternoon block, I'm only around about 15 kids. Um, so I come to school at lunch. Normally I ride. Some kids take taxis or bus. Um, at the sports school, Mondays we have seminars and study blocks. So seminars range from nutrition to mental performance to all sorts. There's it, the, the level of speakers we get in is obviously national level. Um, then Tuesdays and Thursdays, we have our strength and conditioning, where we learn Olympic lifts with Jen, who allows us to learn it at our own pace. So once we get to the university level or the national team level, we're not thrown into the deep end and risking injury because we already know everything about the lifts and how to do them properly. Uh, Wednesdays is our, our kind of opener, open day. We have either gymnastics training, which is like a core proprioception day, and or we have sprint training, which is um, sprinting as in running. Great. So that's pretty awesome. Um, talk about your sports school history, when did you start, and I guess importantly what made you decide to pursue that route because um, something that I didn't and you didn't mention is that you are in class with, um, you're not segregated in your in your uh, grade essentially, so you guys are all kind of lumped together, 10, 11, 12, so um, kind of just talk about what interested you in that or how that works and Right. Um, it wasn't really a, like whether or not to attend sports school wasn't really a, ever a question. I had teammates ever since grade eight. I had teammates in the uh, in the sports school, and I just found out that it was such a good environment. Um, having all those different types of people in it, the different types of athletes, you are always pushed to compete. In a, in a team manner, as like like how you compete with your teammates to push each other better. That's what the program is, and because everybody has different strengths from their different sports, you're you're pushing each other. So that kind of group in 
inspired me and, and made me want to go into the program. And it wasn't like my regular high school where there might be two kids who are like me in the entire school, whereas at this school, everybody is like me. I attended the sports school info night, and I do recall that being a concern. Like a number of the parents seemed to ask about that aspect, like, well, will my child miss out on um, yeah, just having that exposure to more students and you kind of missing out on that like high school experience, I guess, seemed to be the concern. And it was very obvious from all the responses from you guys that you don't feel that that's, that's lacking, that you really appreciate that, what you described as being around like-minded people. So just kind of explore and talk about that a little bit more in terms of how that enhances sports and how that helps you in your performances in sport. What, what I think is misunderstood by some parents of who the parents weren't, like my parents were athletic, but they were never in the high performance pathway. And they, they were wondering about this missing out on high school experiences. And how I explained it to them was some people's, like everybody has a fun place, right? Where some people like hanging out with friends late at night and chilling in town or uh, going to parties or whatever, and that's great, but that isn't my fun place. My fun place is out on the bike and racing and being around people who are motivated and strive for the same things as me. That's my fun place. And sometimes it's not fun, per se, because it hurts, it's training, <laughs> yep. but it is my fun place. Uh -huh. So at regular school people don't understand like why is that your fun place like parties make more sense to them but right. at this school everybody's fun place is like mine like even like the baseball players killing a batting practice that's their fun place or runners like even doing repeat 800 meters and throwing up in a ditch sure it doesn't seem like a lot of fun but that is their fun place and that's why they're doing it um I, yeah, I, that's actually giving me chills a little bit because I feel like obviously that's what I discovered in sport too. And it's really impressive and, and really special that you at your age can not to, I'm not trying to be condescending or anything, but okay. you, uh, you know, and you probably figured that out even before grade 12. So it's like that's really impressive to come around to understanding that so early. Like it's actually a really, it's a gift that you have then to, that you can carry forward for like a privilege almost that you know that so soon because you'll be able to um, draw on that for so long. Right. And uh, yeah, there was a really good rower that I knew and he's, his quote is, gets traveled around a lot. I mean, I'm sure people have said, I mean, you almost said it word for word. It doesn't have to be fun to be fun. And I think that that's the cool aspect about sports is that it teaches you um, very different and unique ways to have fun. Right. <laughs> you define your own your, your own definition of that. Actually, speaking of which, which, that leads very well to the next question. Cycling is an extremely repetitive movement. Um, and so, but, and you did speak to this a little bit, but I wanted to kind of explore this just a little bit more, like further and more specifically. Your training at the sports school is very multifaceted. You're, you kind of mentioned all the different things you do. But talk more specifically about why you feel that helps your cycling performance. So 
in the first and second years of the gym program, we all do the same programs unless you have an injury that prevents you from it. Um, we do all do the same because we're learning the basics of the lift and then by third year we slowly start transitioning into sports specifics. The gymnastics and sprint training all athletes do. Um, whether you're a cyclist or a baseball player or a runner or a judo athlete, you all do the same. And it was kind of, you when I first started I was like, okay, this is a lot of fun. But where is the transition? Where does, how does this help this? So I was thinking about the gymnastics and there was, we were doing break falls one day. And it was learning how you can fall up, like fall from height and not get injured. And I was like, well, when am I ever falling from height? And it never made, really made sense to me. And then one day I was in a crit criterium, it's a, it's a type of race. And there's a crash right in front of me, and you don't have an option but go flying off your bike. Like, you can't stop fast enough. And honestly, I should have broken some bones. I fell at 55k an hour, but I didn't. And I was like, why? And it was because I'd done these shoulder rolls and dive rolls and brake falls all through the past two years. And so after all this, I was able to get up. And while everybody else or a lot of other people had injuries that prevented them from continuing on racing, I didn't. I was able to grab a new bike and continue on and finish the race and be able to race the next day and the next day. That is super, super fascinating. I think that what a fantastic example. <laughs> you can't get a better example than that of how that was tr transferring over for you. But what I heard you say there too is, I mean, you didn't say the word, but I got out of that that you said something like, okay, what am I, when you went to the gymnastics practice, you're like, what am I doing here? Like when, and it's that idea that you're doing it now with intent. So it's like, okay, it's my, maybe not cycling when I go to do these um, rolls and falls, but you're at least doing them with some form of intent that transfers to cycling, right? right? And so that I think is the key is that it doesn't have to be the, specific movement per se as long as your mind is wrapped around how does this transfer to my sport in some way right and as long right. as you're bringing that intent to it then it is enhancing the sport even if it's not the sport is that, yep. is that what yeah. you feel yeah mm -hmm. I mean that I feel like I learned that myself too and it's cool that like basically that came out in your story um, we also talked about this a little bit you kind of mentioned it but um, maybe go a little deeper into describing some of your key learnings at the sports school, but specifically from being around the athletes? Like, what do you think that they bring to your day, or what have those athletes in the sports school taught you from other sports that you might not have got if you were not around like-minded people, as you say? I guess it's hard to predict because you don't know, but like what, uh, I guess, yeah, just think about like how are they enhancing your life right now? I think it, it's similar to, it's like having your, your teammates in a high-performance team, you get along with really well most of the time. Like as people, you all have the same goal. You, you get along really well with the exception of a lot of times it's in high-stress environments, so you may not get along <laughs> yeah. extremely well. Which is normal, right? But the yeah. personalities <laughs> are what helps you get along. 
at this school, there is the same high stress environments aren't applicable to each other, so we don't have that conflict in that sense. So everybody kind of gets along. I see, because you're saying you're kind of you're not competing. Right. Correct. And I think that that's one of the things this school focused on a lot more than and almost indirectly is in in cycling, especially for male cyclists in Canada, able-bodied male cyclists in Canada, we're not quite there. We get maybe one international medal a year, um, if that. And how the, the junior scene in Canada is starting to change is we're not competing against each other anymore. So when I go to nationals, sure, we're racing against each other, but afterwards, we're still going to talk to each other and debrief about how that other person could have won and how I could have won better. Because even though we're competing that way, we're not going to win anything at a higher level because we're still two steps behind. So this is the only way for us to catch up. And I feel like in some environments, we don't have that ability to raise each other up. And in a lot of sport environments, you're focused on pushing other people kind of away to kind of keep your own skill set so you can make that team and they won't. And I feel in this program, we don't have to compete to make teams because we're all in different sports. So we can all just raise each other up to push each other to be the best in our sport because that's what we're really down to is just trying to raise. We want Canadian sports school athletes because they're our friends and they're our teammates to achieve greatness. So that's what we're doing in this program is we're just trying to push each other up. And because we're not competing with each other, we don't have nobody pushes each other away. I think that that's a real amazing thing you've said too. Like I would say that when I reflect back on my career, one of the best things I learned in the end, and yeah, Grant, I was in a double, a rowing double, so I only had to be with one other person, right? And then I luckily feel like it was luck in the end. You know, you come across that right person, the one that's just it's working really well with, and you can stick with them, and they're, you're a partnership. But so, I, I mean, I was lucky that way. It wasn't like in the end we were competing, really. So it's sort of what you're saying. But I did still learn that um, in order for her to get to that place where we were both at that level, uh, she was a lot newer to the sport than me, so I helped her a lot. And I look back on that and I think, man, had I not spent all that time trying to help her, at the time not knowing at all whether we'd end up in a boat together, yeah. would I have had, in the end, a partner that I was able to win an Olympic medal with? Maybe not. Maybe she would have completely found her own path and done it on her own, but maybe not. And so I look at that and I think, you never hurt yourself to help someone be better. Mm -hmm. You know, and even if... Because even in helping that person, you're learning something. You are making yourself better when you're helping them. So I think that if you're spending all your day, you know, looking to raise people up, as you say, or help them be better, then you're making yourself even better than you realize. It's not just them making you better. So you are making yourself better by helping someone else, you know? And I think that in the the community in cycling right now, the, the high performance community in cycling, um, at least the junior boys in my 
my pool is that we're really focusing on on raising each other up because I think most of us, or at least, or almost all of us, realize that us as individuals aren't going to win a medal mm -hmm. at Worlds, but by raising each other up, like maybe one of my teammates will get the spot and not me, but if that teammate's better than me and then they get a silver medal at Worlds, I wouldn't have gotten that silver medal, so that's a win for us and not a win for him. Right, and uh, what you said it so well there, I'm trying to recapture it, but that idea that if you're actually building each other up and someone still goes ahead of you, you are at least still the best you could have been. Like you're still better than you would have been if you hadn't done that and end up just ahead of that person. Right. Which in the end, and it's hard to see when you're in that in the moment of sport, but in the very end when it's all over and you're retired and you're looking back as an old person, you'll be glad that really all your memories are about did I live up to who I believed I could be? Did I get the experiences I wanted to have? You're not really going to be looking at the medals that are in the drawer, right? You're just going to want to feel that you actually reached the potential that you felt you had. And so, like, really, that's what that's doing. And it's a bit, you know, big picture at this point and not certainly not something you should have to focus on every day, but you're clearly learning it so early, which is pretty awesome. Um... Speaking of results, actually, that's the next question. Um, and I mean, this doesn't have to be like a medal. So right. um, talk about the results you're the most proudest of to date. And what do you feel are the key things, I guess? Like, I know it's a bad word, but like I kind of was thinking of like, what were the focuses or preparations or what was important to you, I guess, that led to that result? Now I'd think on a result, and I don't. I think one of the biggest results this year would have been there's a it's a Junior World Cup race in Quebec, Northern Quebec, um, called the Tour uh, Abitibi, and uh, our. It was the first team racing experience I've had with the national team, um, and it was the f the the result. I had good results at that race, but the the actual biggest result was was learning how to race with my team, and and really utilizing other people, and and helping each other get to the finish. Um, Sorry to interrupt you, but just sort of describe that scene of team, because for people that listening that don't right. understand that, um, as a cyclist or individual, but you are still operating as a team, so just explain that a little bit so that your story is like more in, powerful. In, um, in so in cycling, how team tactics work is often a race begins and it's 150 kilometers, 120 kilometers, and a, a small group get away from the main pack, the peloton is the main pack. And if you have a teammate in that main pack, you don't care if that main pack comes back because if that main, if that small pack's a pack of five, you're guaranteed a top five placement. So you're no longer responsible for working to pull that back. And when you're sitting in, in the group, you can save like 40 to 50% of the energy. 
so that's how the team aspect plays in. And then coming into the finish, you can use teammates to sit on the front, increase the pace, so you're in a good position for the sprint. There's, but the, the issue is, if I cross the line in first, I get a medal. But I wasn't 100% responsible for that medal. All I did was have a really good 20-second sprint or 10-second sprint, whereas all my teammates, the five others, they don't get a medal, even though they're just as responsible for that medal as me. So having, being able to make a team that is, and, and work with a team that's selfless enough to, to work together that, that way was, was the main, the biggest result, was, was learning the team dynamics and how to be a good teammate when you have to ask people to sacrifice their race to help our team get a medal. I think that is one of the most under-known, undervalued, under like everything <laughs> aspect of cycling. Like I think that it's it's like uh, for risk of sounding cheesy, like I want to use the word beautiful. Like I think it's just sort of like the um, the like metaphor for sport is a cycling team. You know, and I think that's so. I just, I just love that part of cycling. So, what was, who was the best result out of that team effort? Where was your like? How did that kind of play out in the end? We we did great. We uh, we won three stages. We got two seconds, um, and a handful of top tens. And this was a field of 150, wow. I think 150 riders. Wow. Um, so we we did really well, um, but it's still the the idea that it's like a hockey team is really it would be like a hockey team right. or a soccer team or any other team or it would be like an eight, but only the Cox gets a medal. Right. Yeah. And that's often how people feel about it because it's this the sprinter is often the one who wins. Right. And. A lot of people are like, well, they did the least amount of work, <laughs> right? And it'd be like a cox and rowing. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's a great, great example. Especially, if, I can't imagine how I'd feel if they were the only ones getting the medal around their neck. Yeah, the cox. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, that's like, one what? Of the things. <laughs> that's a great, great parallel. So yeah, that shows you the, the selflessness of the average cyclist. And, and I'm allowed to slam sprinters because I'm pretty much a sprinter. I was so. gonna say, are you a sprinter? Yeah, yeah. I can slam sprinters. So. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Totally allowed. Uh, at least you know it, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, what's your biggest sport goal, and how do you feel your current network of support is gonna help you get there? I have a really good network of support. Like, there's like parents, coaches, provincial team, national team. They like everybody wants to be part of success, right? So nobody. Nobody sees something or somebody who's who's chasing a goal and goes, I don't want that person to, to achieve their goal. Like, so the whole cycling community in Victoria, BC, and Canada wants to push us and help us along. So my support system is, is good. Like, it, everybody wants to help. As for goals, like... Of course, I have goals of winning Tour de France stages or, or World Cup and World Championship medals. But I think this season, when I got 
a couple World Cup medals and a fourth at Junior Worlds, I didn't finish those races being super proud of that medal, but I finished with either being proud of what I did or having a ton of fun doing it. And I think that what it came down to was the the idea of the the long-term goal would be these results, but I think the lofty goal that kind of umbrella did all was I just want to have a ton of fun doing what I'm doing. And it's a lot of fun to win races. So that's where it's, that's mm-hmm, how it mm-hmm. umbrellas it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it's a win-win if you're having fun, right? Sort yeah. of like you're winning if you're losing and you're winning if you're winning if you're exactly. having fun. Um, yeah, I get that for sure because, I mean, that's what rowing was for me. It was just, you know, even those bad moments, sure, they're crappy in the actual moment you're living them, but they're not, it's not that bad because overall it's fun. And even then you look back and you're thinking, hey, I'm kind of glad that happened because it made me do A, B, and C, which led to this or that or whatever, right? So I think that as long as that underlying um, drive and motivation is the fun, then your results are going to be better anyway. You will achieve all those things that you want to. And I think when when I do have a bad week or bad two weeks or a bad month or whatever, I think in the summer – I had some sections that were like that, and I think that something that kind of came to me, you have a lot of time, you do five-hour rides, and sometimes you're alone for those, <laughs> yeah. and you have a lot of time for your brain to just wander, uh-huh. and what I came up with was I got so caught up in chasing a dream that I forgot what it actually felt like to chase a dream. So chasing the dream was good, but I forgot the enjoyment of actually chasing that dream. It sounds like kind of what you're saying is you went from chasing to just actually living. Yeah. You were in the, you there stop the chase and be in the moment, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot what it was the enjoyment that came with with striving for something. Right. Whereas right. I just made that striving for something just what I was doing. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I had to I had to come back to the enjoyment that striving for that thing gave me. Yeah. I that's And that helped me through a lot. That I, that really helped me enjoy the sport a lot more again super insightful and this isn't on our question sheet but i just kind of wanted to go back to when you were throwing around your bad you said a bad day week or even month (laughs) i think that that's important for athletes to know too is that um for someone who clearly loves the sport as much as you do for someone who's doing really well in it quite successful already has a great future that you know those down moments can actually be, you know, 30 days worth yeah. <laughs> of down moments and that that is completely normal that, you know, bad times can be that long to just, you know, yeah. keep going through it. And then that fun that you speak of will get you through yeah, exactly. one or two months or yeah, three or four, <laughs> you know. And um, the distinction between enjoyment and fun, because I don't think there's ever been a time when I didn't enjoy my sport. Right. There's definitely yeah. been times where I didn't have fun doing my sport, but I've but, never not enjoyed my sport. Yeah, I can relate to that too. That even if it's not a fun moment, there's. Would you say that the enjoyment is that you're feeling there's val like the the enjoyment comes from there's value in what you're doing or something's coming out of it? What would you say is that difference? The 
Yeah, it's it's like the enjoyment of it comes from the fact that you're achieving something. Uh -huh. Like the fact that I'm I'm starting the day and even though it's not fun, I know I'm finishing the day better than how I started it. Right, yeah. There's focus. There's, yeah, there's a focus, there's a there's a goal mm -hmm. and that leads to the enjoyment. I get that. Yeah, thanks for defining that for how you feel it's defined. Um, I'm going to, well, we kind of started to broaden out a bit, but in our last few questions, I just want to go kind of more general, just to, just we're going to have a lot of age uh, differences listening to this, a lot of different experience levels and different sports, of course, so kind of taking it more from like that broader athlete perspective, which you've already provided a huge amount of content from already. Um, what do you believe are some of the most important qualities athletes possess that allow them to succeed? And I like to define um, succeed as what they want that to mean. I don't have, I'm not saying that, you know, if I wanted to say that allow them to win medals, I would have said that, right? It's sort of like whatever succeeding means to you, what do you think are the qualities that athletes possess that allow them to get to their six, whatever their version of success is? I think... Uh, for me, it would probably be like kind of one or two things would probably be learning from like learning and thinking critically on what you're learning. So first off, always take like when I went back and said nobody wants unless there's some other reason, nobody sees somebody chasing a dream and goes, I don't want them to achieve that unless there's something else going on. So if people are going to tell you something, odds are they, they're telling you that to try and help you or try and, try and to raise you up in some way. Now, whether that person has any grounds to tell you what they're telling you is where the thinking critically comes in. Right. Where you can't just take one person's ideas or logic or and just make that your own if you took 10 or 15 and then you took all those opinions and decided what you believe and then went with that i feel that's going to make you the best that you can be and obviously if a nutritionist tells you something and you're like well i need 15 other opinions from mom and dad and Joe, like, no, take the nutritionist's advice. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> like, obviously, wait, who's telling you what? Right. But there's some street cred for some people. There's like, some street yeah. cred for some people. <laughs> yeah. But have some, have some balance with who, like, don't just take one person's um, ideas and philosophy and make it your own, like, work out what you believe in by taking a lot more and and learning from a lot more people before you, you decide. Um, what I'm hearing from you there, well, first of all, the learn, that word is just, yeah, absolutely critical, like imperative, right? Like that's fabulous to acknowledge that learning is critical to success. And the way you're describing to learn is also very mature and insightful. I think that's a really fabulous way to go about it. And what I was like on my edge of my seat kind of wanting you to say is that um, 
because it sounds it is kind of what you're saying. It's the why, right? You're kind of analyzing why am I doing this? Why right. did they say that? Um, and so that's sort of at the core. Take sports aside. Take just anything in life. You're always going to find more value and be able to grow and move forward in something when you know why you're doing it. Right. And to me, that's what it sounds like you're saying. You're saying, don't just mimic. Don't yeah. just like be a soldier and go, okay, I will follow or I right. will do. You're, you're saying, okay, why am I doing this? And then because you're making that work for you, you're going to do it better. Yeah. Could you also understand the goal, like, if you get given just cycling purely fitness-based, if you're given three by five minutes, as but you're not told what the goal is, uh -huh. and you go out and do three by five minute maxes when they're just supposed to be three by five minute openers for a race tomorrow. Right. Like you don't have a goal <laughs> and you're just going to fire yourself for the race the next day. That's a very different workout. Yeah. So, <laughs> Written exactly the same. Exactly. Yeah. Totally different. But you need the the explanation of why you're doing it. That's right. And think of that across, you know, 50, 100,000 different actions in your yeah. career. How would that add up to either a greatness or maybe even absolute failure? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Very, very insightful. Um, what advice would you give to upcoming athletes? I think I've already touched on it a little bit, but it would definitely be uh, raising other people up. I think that was that was one of the key things I found was you don't feel good holding stuff back, especially if you see somebody making it there that you know and you your teammates with. You it doesn't feel good to be like I have the solution to help you, but I don't want to tell you because I fear that you might take my spot down the road because. If you help them, there's sure to be something that they can help you with. And it may not be directly related to the sport. They might may not, let's say you're helping them in something to do with hockey. Let's say you're helping them skate, but you're a better all-around player than them. They might be able to help you with whatever, um, team communication, sponsor communication. And when there's a thousand athletes just like you, Whoever can talk to a sponsor better and represent the team better may not may get the spot, especially in cycling when it's a sponsor-driven sport. So just because you're afraid of helping somebody else up, they can actually they'll if you help them, they'll help you. Mm -hmm. And if you get a circle going of 10, 15, 20, 40, 100 people all helping each other up you don't end up with a high-performance program that's going to win medals. Yeah, and I I feel like that was one of my big lessons, too, and pieces of advice. Like, we, we really share that philosophy, you and I. And what I think what you're describing does is that, you know, you won't be – maybe you could ride your bike until you're 90 if you want, but you won't be a cyclist forever, right? You won't right. train and dedicate your life to being a cyclist forever but what you're describing allows you to express and demonstrate leadership outside of sport right. basically what you're describing is 
a very, very um, successful form of leadership. So, you know, that's something that you can take with you until you're 90. Right. It's that leadership aspect and and people that just makes people around you feel really good. Yeah. Who doesn't like being around someone that makes them feel good, right? Right. It's a good life skill. Is there anything else you'd like to tell athletes that are listening or I mean, no pressure? We don't have to Yeah, I'm we, just trying to think. Um just anything. Just checking his phone, folks. Yeah. Riley's Cole's notes. Riley's Cole's notes. <laughs> um Yeah, um, I've already touched on this as well, but maybe don't just don't get so caught up in chasing a dream that you forget what it feels like. Mm-hmm. I think that's really good. Yeah, I think that's that would be a closing. It's like a uh, that kind of cliche classic. It's not about the outcome, but the process, right? Yeah. Yeah. But well, I think sorry. No. But I think how it makes sense in my mind is like I got you can get so caught up in chasing that dream that you forget like you get so caught up in chasing that dream that almost keeps moving ahead of you that one day you stop and you you think back to the feeling of chasing a dream and you're like I'm actually living that feeling and because I've been spent so long trying to chase where I'm going like it wasn't that long ago that I was like oh this race would be so awesome or competing at junior worlds would be so amazing and then I was at junior worlds when I finally stopped and went and while I'm at junior worlds I'm like competing at elite worlds would be so amazing or competing at the Olympics I see what you're saying yeah I stopped and I went wait a minute no this is amazing yeah I'm here acknowledge where you are this is the feeling (laughs) right and I went no this feeling is amazing that's what I was looking for. I totally get what you're saying now. Yeah, that's um, an excellent piece to leave people with because high, highly driven people and especially athletes, it's always more, 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 forward, 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 and then I will, and then I'll be happy, and then I, right? Yeah. That you're telling them, slow down, acknowledge what you are doing right now. Yeah. Well, that's that's some really fabulous stuff, Riley. I um, I thank you so much for doing this, and I think everyone, there's no way that they aren't going to um, pull some really awesome advice and information out of that. I wish they could be here to ask questions, but um, guys, because of the wonderful content that Riley provided, if anyone has any questions when they have listened to this speaker series, that um, please feel free to forward those along to... Uh, myself or Drew Todd. Actually, I won't be around. That's why we're pre-recording this. So please feel free to forward those along to Drew Todd. And then maybe Riley, will you be yeah, open to... Um, yeah, so then maybe Drew can reach out to Riley. And if you have any specific questions for him, he could uh, reach back out to you and answer those. Uh, we don't want it, Not an ongoing conversation per se, but if you have any specific questions for Riley, he's happy to uh, give you a response to those. So, again, thank you very much, Riley. Thank you for having me on. You are welcome. You were great. Thanks. (laughs) 
Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of the Podium Cast. If you have any feedback or topics you'd like covered, send us an email at athlete at csipacific.ca. Stay tuned for our next episode and have a fabulous day.